0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me today in the studio is the Rev. Mark Diedrich.
1: Good to be here, Dan.
0: And on the phone is Jerry Johnson of NiceneCouncil.com. Good
2: to be with you, Dan.
0: Well, gentlemen, it's nice to have you here today. You know, this is a significant time of year for us Christians. Um, And I'm not speaking about Halloween. It seems like our culture constantly... (laughs) Uh, shoves that down our throats, as it were. But something far more significant happened, and that's tied to October the 31st, and that is the uh, start of the Reformation. And so today, here on A Plain Answer, we want to talk a little bit about that, a little bit about Martin Luther and his time frame, what happened then, and then um, right up until today. That's such a huge topic, we don't expect to cover everything, of course, in this short program. But, um, uh, who would like to get us started just a okay. little bit about uh martin luther
1: well i I thought i 'd just get us started a little bit, Dan. I just wanted to mention one thing you know how important the Reformation really is I mean this was a a huge turning point since the resurrection of jesus christ it 's probably the biggest turning point in history that we have and yet the christian church is so ignorant of it Hmm. and we don't and one of my biggest gripes with halloween has always been that uh along with the other negatives that are with it that it has totally overshadowed the celebration of the reformation Mm -hmm. to the point where i teach one of the things i do is i teach a few classes at a christian school and uh, these are seventh and eighth graders and granted that they are very young, it's a fairly small class, but I gave them one question as a bonus question on a recent test, and I said, what important historic event occurred on Halloween? Mm-hmm. Not one of them got it. Yeah. Not one of them got it. I'm and just
0: wondering, I- Jerry, have you seen that on your
1: end?
2: Um, you know, the, the modern church's ignorance of not only Scripture, Uh, But church history, I believe, has had debilitating effects on the church's ability to push forward with a vision of victory. Mm -hmm. The idea of bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, Really, the idea of fulfilling uh, the Great Commission. And um, the popular statement uh, made by the American philosopher George Santayana Mm -hmm. was, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. And I think we have been, uh, probably since about the beginning of the 19th, maybe the end of the 18th century, uh, the American churches really went from a position of believing that knowledge was knowable, that mm-hmm. truth was knowable. And we went into, really, a, a, a non-intellectual, or what Dr. Francis Schaeffer ca- called, non-reason period. And that is mutated, or I might be able to say denigrated, into actually an anti-intellectualism. And the modern church seems to pride itself on its ignorance. Consider what it calls seminary. Oftentimes I hear people joking around that seminary is really cemetery.
0: (laughs) And somehow
2: there's this badge of honor that goes with being ignorant, but um, Brother Mark is, is absolutely right. You ask young people today not just about the Reformation. Uh, I saw a video a couple of weeks ago where a man was going around in uh, public with a picture of Adolf Hitler and asking people, do you know who this man is? Mm-hmm. The majority of people had no idea who he was.
1: Oh Yeah, it is. It's kind of sad. Years ago, I taught at a junior college, a course in Reformation, and one of my first questions was just to get to where these students were at. And I would just, you know, identify Martin Luther, and you would be surprised how many times you would get the answer back um, wasn't he assassinated mm-hmm. a few years ago yes. and you know it's no yes. that was Dr Martin Luther King Martin Luther is entirely different <laughs> and these are people who were taking a reformation course what so you know Well
0: you just mentioned uh, an important figure in this whole discussion today and that's uh, Martin Luther um and, and I can hear you drinking your water. I know, I'm sorry, mic, I'm sorry.
1: I didn't realize the ice would be making that much noise. Yeah, every
0: time we have a guest here in the studio, we always give them ice water. Yeah, that's and, and right. So You know, this is a casual environment. <laughs> um, help us understand, just for three or four minutes, the life of Martin Luther. back. When was that time frame, by the way?
2: That would have been the 16th century. You're really looking at the beginning of it. Um, Brother Mark, you might need to correct me, I believe Luther was born in 1492, and the nailing of the 95 theses of contention to the church doors at Wittenberg was 1517.
1: I wouldn't contest you there at all. That's right. Uh, He grew up, his father was a minor, and Luther was studying law. Mm -hmm. And uh, on his way back to school, he got caught in a thunderstorm, was almost struck by lightning, and he cried out to St. Anne, which is purportedly uh, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus' mm-hmm. mother, and uh, he said, I will become a monk, and he became an uh, Augustinian monk, eventually, at uh, Wittenberg. So I guess thunderstorms aren't always bad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, as much as you hate them with your radio equipment, no. That's right. <laughs>
2: That's right. You really need to understand that during this time period, the the medieval period, uh, where the Church of Rome had based things on tradition, uh, mysticism, and there was an ignorance of the knowledge of Scripture, Uh, it was still in the Latin, uh, coming from uh, uh, the Latin Vulgate, and most priests could not read the Bible. Most of the sermons were in Latin, and a lot of times the Mass itself. The priests did not know what they were saying, but the portrait that was presented of God was that he was this angry, spiteful, vengeful God sitting in heaven, and this is what Martin Luther was grappling with. When he became a monk, he was sure that God hated him, Hmm. and he would confess his sins trying to get right with God. And um, he was never sure if he had confessed every single sin. In fact, often he would leave the confessional thinking he had confessed every single one, and then remembering one he didn't confess. <laughs> and yeah. so one day in a conversation with his, uh, 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 I think they called it his chief confessor or his primacy, yeah. a yeah. man by the name of Staupitz, um, Staupitz asked Luther, don't you love God? And Luther turned to him and said, you want me to love God? I tell you, I hate him.
0: Yes. And
2: that was the event that caused Staupitz to send Luther to Wittenberg to study theology. They thought if they uh, really uh, immersed him in the study of Scripture, that maybe he could uh, come away with a different view of God. Mm -hmm. And of course, it was during those studies, uh, specifically after his pilgrimage to Rome, uh, where he saw Rome just mired in debauchery that uh, Luther read Romans chapter 1, that just shall live by faith, and the floodgates of heaven were opened up to him.
0: Mm. Amen. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at the clock here. We need to take a short break. I hear the music coming up in the background. Um, today here on A Plain Answer, we're talking about the Reformation, its Genesis, and what happened after that. On the phone with us is Jerry Johnson. In the studio is Mark Diedrich. Stay with us. We'll be
3: right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements.
0: And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're talking about the Reformation. And prior to our break, we mentioned briefly the life of Martin Luther. Now, uh, gentlemen, what were some of the... um Some of the abuses, I guess, that were going on at the time of Martin
1: Luther in the church. Well, there were all kinds of abuses going on, especially in terms of what they would call simony and and the terms of money. Uh, There were theological problems, of course, beyond that, which uh, were the most important ones. But there was such corruption uh, in the church, for example, most of the bishops at that time were mostly political leaders. Albert of Mentz, who uh, was one of the key players, if you will, in the initial Luther nailing the 95 Theses, basically they bought their bishoprics. Mm-hmm. And, and it was one of those things where they paid the Pope and paid the, the church at Rome. And so what happens uh, then is you've got to, if you get this, then you have to to pay it off. Well, how are you going to pay all this? And, of course, at this time, St. Peter's was being built. This mm-hmm. was the big project that was being built. And you have, I believe, Leo X, who was the pope at the time, and the deal was cut. And so how do you pay off this? Well, you sell indulgences. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when we have the infamous uh, indulgence seller, Johannes Tetzel, Coming around Wittenberg selling indulgences with this little ditty that kind of went when the coin in the coffer rings, then the mm-hmm. soul from Purgatory springs.
0: Now, uh, Jerry Johnson, uh, can you expand a little bit on these in- indulgences?
2: Yeah, basically, what they ended up being, uh, what they allowed you to do, and the indulgence that Tetzel was selling was actually a blanket indulgence. It was not only for passions future sins. <laughs> uh, if I was going to go out and get drunk tonight with my buddies and uh, beat up a couple of guys and and run around with loose women, um, that indulgence, because I had already purchased it, gave me forgiveness of sins. And oh
0: my. Luther
2: actually came across a member of his congregation who had bought one, and uh, he said, I don't have to worry about purgatory, I don't have to worry about sin, I bought this indulgence. And it's signed by the Pope himself. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused Luther to get angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he started working, really, on his uh, 95 Theses... Now, let me just, just mention this. Uh, last week, I had to suffer in the beautiful state of Hawaii on a beach in Maui. <laughs> and I'm really surprised that I lived through it. But um, I did get an opportunity to read Luther's letter to Pope Leo the Tenth. While I was out there on uh, Christian liberty, and Luther did this very long forward to Leo X. and what I, what I found astounding in this mm-hmm. was at this point, Luther yep. still believed that uh, Leo X was a righteous and good man.
3: Mm-hmm. He That's right.
2: That he was getting bad advice and that he was being abused by those who were his advisors, and he begged him, calling him Holy Father. Uh, you know, and I think that's something very important, is that Luther continued to respect authority, Yeah, but um, he did question the theology that was coming out of the papacy, and he begged Leo to take a look at it and compare it with Scripture. And of course, we know Leo never did that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as,
2: as much as Luther wanted Leo to be a good man, uh, Leo X was corrupt to the core.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things uh, people don't realize, you know, you look back in history. uh, Luther's naivety, he thought that Leo was going to be on his side. (laughs) He was going to stand up against these bishops and these people who had had done so much corruption. Mm -hmm. Kind of like with the American Revolution. Very early in the American Revolution, a lot of the colonists thought King George was going to come to their rescue. Uh Were they surprised? (laughs) Now, gentlemen,
0: I have a thought as I sit here, and I realize that we've only got about uh, 10 minutes left to this show today. Um, Going forward, since uh, the time of Luther, um, what were some other key figures uh, in the Reformation? And also, can you tie it to the whole Protestant movement today, tie it back to that? Jerry, could you lead us on that for a moment?
2: Yeah, um, Luther, uh, I guess, and I don't know what what descriptor I would necessarily use. um, To say he was the catalyst or the lightning rod of the Reformation, I think, would be totally accurate. But, you know, there may be Lutherans listening that want to give him a higher role. Mm -hmm. I do give Luther a very high role. In fact, his commentary on Galatians, I think, is still one of the best out there. In fact, Mm -hmm. just a little point of trivia. It was when John Wesley read Luther's commentary on Galatians that he really started to understand the gospel. So we even see a couple hundred years later how Luther had an effect on the founder of Methodism. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole idea that Luther was the catalyst gave rise for other people to rise up and break with the Roman church state. And you see this, I think, primarily Uh, in Geneva uh, with John Calvin and Farrell and others, and uh, in Scotland with John Knox. And uh, from there, you really see the heavy influence of uh, Karlstadt, who was a contemporary of Luther's, and also Ehrlich Zwingli, uh, with a lot of the Calvinistic theology Mm -hmm. having a massive impact in England with the Baptist movement. Mm -hmm. And I know Brother Mark can validate this, the baptist first came out with a confession in 1644 and this is in england after the westminster confession in 1646 47 48 mm-hmm. uh, in that time period it's usually ascribed 1647 uh in 1689 the baptist redid their confession and there are i mean literally chapters of the Westminster Confession, that's the confession of Presbyterians, that the Baptists lifted right out of the Westminster Confession of Faith and put it into the 1689 uh, Second London Confession. did this because they believed that the, the Presbyterians had pretty much hit the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of similarity. Let me just tell you this. The, the 1689 Confession was the confession of some of the greatest Baptist Uh, churches and movements in the history of the world. Specifically, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and the Second London Confession, which was very Calvinistic, became, in the United States, the Philadelphia Confession that really gave rise to the particular Baptist in the United States, which eventually became the Southern Baptist Convention. So the Southern Baptist Convention has its roots in a Calvinistic theology very strongly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if uh, some of we have a plethora of listeners from different denominational backgrounds, including I might add Roman Catholics and hopefully some Orthodox. But for for our friends on um, who are Baptists, um, where might they look up this um, 1689 Confession that really is the foundation of uh, the whole Baptist movement?
2: Yeah. Well, they can actually go just to the Internet and look up the 1689 uh, Baptist Confession or look it up as the Second London Baptist Confession. Okay. And they will uh, pull up numerous sites that have the history of the Confession, uh, as well as they'll be able to print it out, probably even order a copy. But I do encourage them to get a copy of that and the Westminster Confession mm-hmm. and read them side by side. They'll They'll be amazed. I believe Chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession was totally lifted and put in the Baptist Confession, Mm -hmm. word for word. Nothing was changed from it. And of course, I believe from an epistemological standpoint, um, both the Baptists and the Presbyterians realized that you had to have propositional truth in order Mm -hmm. to know and understand God's will. And that's why they made chapter one uh, of the Holy Scriptures, because they realized mm-hmm. that you had to argue axiomatically, and you had to argue from epistemology. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is it is beautifully written. I, I don't think I've ever read a, a confession of faith as well done as as chapter one of either the Westminster Confession or the Baptist Confession of 1689.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is a really important thing uh, to understand, especially, uh, you know, these confessions, why the Westminster Confession uh, was was used by that is because it is so succinct, its wording is beautiful. You, you look at the Shorter Catechism, and some of its definitions are so packed with meaning, yeah. with such few words, you can't you almost can't improve upon them. Now, I know there are people who say, well, I just believe the Bible. I don't need a confession. Wait a second. What are these confessions? These confessions are not an addition to the Bible. Mm-mm. Understand what a confession is. A confession is basically a summary of what the Bible teaches. And when you look at Westminster, when you look at these confessions, you see all the scripture proofs. The proofs are there. Th- that's, yes. And that's what they're trying to bring together is what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible is, you know, well over a thousand pages long. How do we summarize what its teaching is? And that's what these confessions Mm -hmm. do so well. And that's the other thing. The big emphasis in the Reformation was scriptures, sola scriptura. Here's our authority. And before the Reformation, the layman did not have access to it. And probably Luther's 95 Thesis is the first thing that was important. The very second thing was after the Diet of Arms in 1520, and he's headed back. He gets kidnapped and gets put into Wartburg Castle by friends. He translates the New Testament in one year, yeah, that's into wonderful. German, so the people can read it. Yeah, praise God for that.
0: Yep. And uh, I Absolutely. also want to pick up on a previous statement one of you guys made that uh, his excellent commentary on Galatians. Um, we would encourage our listeners to look that up and acquire that. It sounds like that's a wonderful commentary to read.
2: I was going to say, by the way, you, you would really be surprised how many of these works you can find on the Internet as a free download. For free. Yeah. You can find you yeah. can find Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. Mm. And, and John Wesley couldn't read it without weeping.
3: Yeah. Oh, my. And, they,
2: and I mean... Th-
1: that that commentary was so significant. If you consider Galatians, how long is Galatians? Six chapters, six chapters. right? Just six chapters. Mm. And if you look at, in terms of volumes today, in terms of, what is it, the Fortress Press translation of it, it's two full, big volumes, mm. you know, which shows how important it was for yeah. Luther. Many of the other commentaries that he wrote are contained in a single volume, but here, six six chapters of Galatians. Two volumes, shows how important, in fact, it was so important, he he once, and this was a compliment to his wife, he called the book of Galatians his Katie Von Bora, which was his wife. (laughs) Hey,
0: I'm looking at the clock here, gentlemen. We've got about a minute and a half left to our discussion today. If you were to have some concluding remarks, uh, first, Mark, um, what would you say about this whole topic today from Luther forward?
1: Yeah, I guess the concluding remarks, I would say, is really look into the Reformation. Uh, God used this as a time of a huge awakening. Mm. We have a number of things that that came to the fore, the importance of God's grace, the importance of faith alone, the importance of Scripture alone, and the importance that our whole lives are to God, soli Deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, and and that's why we're here.
2: Amen. If I may add my comments, I I do want to encourage people. It's not something we carry in our online store, but R.C. Sproul um, did a series years ago called The Classic Collection, and one of the the videos he had produced was called Just Martin Luther, and it is a great summary of Martin Luther's life. And you could probably go to Ligonier.org or even check on Amazon and see if somebody has a used copy out there that you can get, you know, pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely encourage people to get that. I would also encourage them to get uh, a documentary I was the executive producer and senior writer for. It's called Amazing Grace, the History and Theology of Calvinism. It's a -a four-and-a-half-hour documentary. And it features R.C. Sproul and D. James Kennedy and a bunch of Baptists. So a lot of Baptists may really be surprised how Calvinistic their history is. Sure. And I will let you in on something. Next week, we're going to be offering the Amazing Grace DVD for $5. Oh, my. So That's starting on Monday, and it's just going to be for a week, we're offering it for $5. There's no purchase limit. You can order as many as you want. And it's great to stick in somebody's stocking at Christmas. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> so, $5 a $5 <laughs> DVD. Get them while they are hot. dot
1: Yes, very good. Very, I, We've used that at our church. Wonderful, wonderful DVD. I'm just going to throw in, in two other things, you know, in terms of the Reformation. The last film is, you can get on DVD with Ralph Fiennes playing Martin Luther really yes. did a reasonably good job historically. Gives a pretty good feel for the time. Yeah, there's a little yeah, Hollywood. We carry
2: that, and by the way, we carry, Mark, if you remember... The uh, 1953, yes, the older exactly. one, the black and white, and we have that for 12.95 on our site, and we also have the new one, but it is pretty much regular retail, maybe a few dollars less.
0: Well, gentlemen, this has been Rich Today. Uh, we're talking here about the Reformation on a plain answer. And, Jerry, one more time, what is your website address?
2: It is www.nicenecouncil.com. That's N-I-C-E-N-E. C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot com.
0: Oh, that's excellent. And uh, we love our brother Jerry, and this is the first time we've had the pleasure of having you on this program. I hope we can do it in the future. And uh, this entire uh, discussion today will be up on our website and linked to iTunes. Today in the studio has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich. On the phone is Jerry Johnson of NiceneCouncil.com. I'm Dan Elmendorf, Please join us again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.